On this episode of Business Interrupted, is your organization ready to do what it needs to to mitigate those risks? Many times on paper, I see people identify the risk, they identify what their mitigation efforts are, but they've never practiced going through the crisis. Business as usual is challenged every day. It's not about if disruption occurs, it's when. On this original show from Castellon Solutions, we're hearing from the world's best leaders as they get into specific situations and topics, providing insights, advice, lessons learned, and resources so you can be ready for when business is interrupted. I'm your host, Brian Zawada, for this scenario's episode. After the disruptions of 2020, business leaders are more concerned than ever with overcoming the next major obstacle. This renewed focus has been named the resilience movement. This movement is really about preventing disruption and responding in a timely way when prevention fails. To help us understand this topic further, Gail Sassoni joins the show to share her perspective. Specifically, we're exploring executive engagement as part of the resilience movement. Gail currently serves as a chief operating officer for a medical device supplier, and she has spent her entire career in supply chain operations for companies of all sizes. And the common attribute of her engagement in those companies is adding value across the entire supply chain and operations function. Now let's join the conversation, starting with Gail's thoughts on what business continuity and resilience looks like from a COO perspective. Well, I think it's changed over the years. Business continuity, you know, in the past was planners, purchasing agents, just get me the raw materials and and have it there when we need it, right? But it's really turned into something a lot more complicated, especially through the pandemic. We've had to not only think about where our suppliers are based and what might be, be their risk and how do we mitigate them, but it's also now about Okay, it's all about the transportation, the mode of transportation. We've got a lot of congestion in our ports. Just an example, for every three uh, sea carriers that we send out from the United States, we're only getting one back. And so there's a lot of congestion going on there. So it's more than just getting the raw materials. It's about the mode of transportation. And then how do you mitigate all of that? So there, there's, a, there's a lot more to it, and, and it is requiring a good bit of extra focus from the supply chain folks in every industry. At least from my perspective, it's definitely uh, stressing the organizations, no matter what industry that you're in. How does the topic of resilience prioritize with the many issues that you face as a COO? Well, it goes to the top because we've got to secure the materials that we need when we need them to continue to drive that revenue and EBITDA line. And so we have a lot of projects. We've got cost savings projects. We've got compliance projects. We've got business continuity projects. I would say the two that go to the top of the list are compliance and then business continuity. And are we still driving um, improved savings? Yes, but it's not as quick as we would like because we've got to stay focused on servicing the business at hand. One of the other things that comes up quite a bit when we talk when I talk to COOs or heads of product is everything within the product. What what comprises the product? The elements, the raw materials. Even being able to look at you know how do I go ahead and switch out elements of the product. Does that cross your desk? Absolutely. We've had 
so many issues, especially and and for those that have that are dealing in the resin category as well as the electronics category, we are faced constantly with either end of life or a reduced capacity. And we are we have in the last year been dealing with how do we get a similar resin, a similar electronics. And and for us in the med device field, it's even it's even more cumbersome because we've got to go through accelerated aging. We've got to prove that it's going to continue to give that same function and service that we we expect. And you know, when we're dealing with med devices, there's a there's a good bit more of regulatory requirements that we need to um, adhere to. So it, it, it takes a good bit of time. So you've got to do your IQO, QPQ, so your installation, operational, and process qualifications to prove that it's going to perform the same and have the same efficacy. So there's a good bit to it, and we are going down those paths. We have actually had to um, change out a couple of resins and go through that same process. And you do what you have to do to preserve that revenue and EBITDA line. And so it it has caused us to reprioritize our projects and make sure that we're focused in on delivering to the customer what they expect. And do they care about this? I think they do to some degree, but only to to the point of do not disrupt my, my supply, right? The sooner that we find out there's an electronics that's at an end of life, it's not going to be produced anymore. What is the, the closest thing that we can get to it and quickly qualify that, that the better off we're going to be? It's a matter of having great relationships with your suppliers and getting that heads up so you have the time to do this. This is not a, a two or three week process. This is more like a three or four month process because we have to put everything through accelerated aging. So there, there's a good bit more to it from a med device perspective. When I talk to your peers, the other thing I hear over and over again is having that candid conversation and the great relationship with the innovators in the organization, engineering, others. Is that the same with you? Absolutely. Look, my partner in quality regulatory and R&D, they are extremely valuable to me. When we are developing new products and processes, it's okay to challenge each other. Are we going to the right supplier? Do they have the bandwidth? Should we qualify one or two suppliers to mitigate risk? And they are very much in lockstep with us on the production side. So it's not just about developing the product. It's about the long-term sustainability of being able to deliver it. And that's included in our entire process. Now, you and I have talked about business continuity methodology in the past. We've talked about some of the things of what works well, what doesn't and your expectations from an executive perspective on that the process that a traditional business continuity professional facilitates for an organization. Tell us from your perspective, what's the most valuable elements that you've experienced? So it's evolved over the years, just being able to identify your risk, right? And and come up with mitigation plans. And I call it, you know, we have a risk register in, in supply chain and operations. But I, over the years, it's evolved because I think that not only identifying your risk, but we've got to scenario, you know, role play this thing out. And is your organization ready to do what it needs to to mitigate those risks? Many times on paper, I see people identify the risk, 
They identify what their mitigation efforts are, but they've never practiced going through the crisis. If you can not only identify and document what you would do, but then prove to the organization you have the resiliency, the the appetite to actually practice these crises or these scenarios, it's going to give you a good bit of insight as to where your gaps are, where your process gaps are, where your collaboration across functions may be. And then you can address that to even a greater degree. But even more so, I have learned here recently that you really need to assign that process to someone on your team that is outside of procurement, outside of planning, that can continue along with you as the executive to challenge where we are. But if you can have someone to own that risk register, own the mitigation plan, own practicing it, driving those practice sessions, because look, our supply chain procurement and planning folks, they are in it up to their eyeballs, just trying to keep everything coming in. I don't know that they all have the bandwidth to take it to the extra step, but if they have a facilitator that can help guide them and challenge them, it's going to be even more resilient as a result. So that would be one of the the key things that I've learned over the years is Take it outside of your supply chain. Let someone else drive it. And for me, I've used it in two different areas. Either your continuous improvement, if you have Lean or Six Sigma, that's all about removing waste and streamlining processes. You could have it reside there with someone that is going to go about it the right way. Another opportunity might be to interpret your environmental health and safety department as is not only just about the employees, but it's about the company as a whole. And then let that, the ownership of your risk register and all of those different process developments reside in that area. It definitely helps. How do you balance efficiency and resilience? One of the things that we've been hearing over and over again is a number of executives, both CFOs, COOs are coming up with more of a balance with between the idea of being streamlined, and also having a little bit of redundancy or some slack built into the system. What's your take on that? I am never going to compromise resiliency and business continuity to save a dollar because you're going to end up paying for it 10 times over in the future if you do that. It is a balancing act, and you've got to always stay engaged. And there's a good bit of push and pull in every organization. You need to have a culture that's going to speak up and tell you where you might be missing the boat and be willing to listen. So it's all about giving and receiving feedback. It's about optimizing, making sure that the organization is totally aligned on what we need to deliver and what is most important. And every organization is different. For us, we need to drive revenue. We need to drive EBITDA, but we're going to do it the right way. And we're not going to, we're never going to be content with mediocrity. We've got to continue to improve. We all have to continue to try to get the best product at the most optimized price, but you cannot do it and sacrifice those relationships with your suppliers. Right now, the reason why I'm not having as many issues is because we have really good relationships with some of our suppliers that are in those key categories that's going to continue to give us what we need. But if you have squeezed them to where they cannot make the the margin that they're looking for, and it's all about what they can do for you, they might not be quite as receptive. 
There's one more thing I've heard, you know, when I asked you about that balancing act, I kind of did it in a very black and white kind of way. But let me ask you a, a different way. Is it also based on the priority of certain products or services in your organization? It's not everything's treated equally? It's not only about the products and the priorities. It's also about your customer base and where are the important products and, and processes that's going to really address the customers that have been with you for an extended period of time. So, you know, you hate to say this, not every customer is created the same. And you're right, everything can't be given the same priority. So you've got to get your commercial team engaged. What are the accounts that you absolutely must protect? And we go through allocations all the time. Every company does it. But what's important to one company may be a little different to another. But we we look at the customers that are really depending on us for our entire portfolio. And so we may be their only supplier. Those folks are going to get the attention. Now, if you only, if you know, if you're a customer and you're going to order, you know, once every two or three years, only one or two products, if we have it, absolutely, we're going to ship it. But in times of a pandemic, when we're having to make choices, we have to protect the base that has, has been with you for an extended period of time. And you know, they depend on you solely for their products. So let me throw three words at you. The words are anticipate, prevent, or respond. Are all three of those words important to you when it comes to resilience or preparing for disruption, or do any of those stand out above the rest? Anticipate is what I would love to always do, but it's been my experience that companies tend to recognize the response behavior more than the anticipation and prevent behavior, simply because it is very real. It's in the forefront. And for those people that respond and get the organization out of a crisis, to me, it's a little unfair because I would rather have an organization full of people that anticipate and prevent. And that way we can stay focused on our strategic activities. But it's hard not to recognize those that respond when you do, you know, you you are addressed with a crisis. So I think you need all three, but I would love to see it shift to be the majority and the anticipate and prevent. And then when you need the responders, they're there, right? And I am trying to push for that with my team because we spend a good bit of our time really looking at our risk register and What are we going to do about it? And then practicing. You know, almost every one of your answers talked about people. When you think about resilience, whether it's somebody that's full-time focused on business continuity or resilience, or someone that's doing it part-time, what are those key skills that you think are going to serve you the best in terms of just whether it's soft skills or something very technical? So I'm going to assume the technical skills are there, but the, the individuals that I look for, are the ones that are totally committed and will ebb and flow with the demands of the business. Not that I want everyone to operate at their peak 100% of the time, because we can't. That's not sustainable. But when the business, when the customers need you, you're there and you're all in. And I'm also looking for people that operate from a place of authenticity. 
because I can trust someone if I feel like I have met the real person more than someone who gives me what they think I want to hear. I'm not I'm not one of those leaders. I prefer for people to be very authentic and tell me when I'm wrong. Tell me when I'm missing something because I'm extremely receptive. And I've been in business for a long time, many decades, and I really enjoy working with people that bring their experiences to the table so I can continuously learn. And I feel like if we are all in an, you know, in that mode of continuous learning, we're going to be so much better off. So yeah, it is all about the people. And for those people that deliver for at least in our organization, I'm going to do everything I can to help them meet their career aspirations and because they, they deserve to be the future leaders of the company. When challenges have been thrown at you and your organization, People that have been creative, people that have been conceptual and coming up with different alternatives, substitutes, if you will. How important is that to you? The creativity, being curious all the time, I think generates that creative talent in people. It it is absolutely critical. And these type of people are in your organization, but you've got to tease it out as a leader. One of my most favorite quotes is by Eleanor Roosevelt, never allow a person to tell you no that doesn't have the power to say yes. And you have every organization, they have people in their organization that will say no and tell you why things can't work. I am all about making sure that I hear from everyone. And there are people in the room, even though the naysayers have the loudest voice, they have the creative intellectual power and they have ideas, and sometimes they're more the soft-spoken ones. You've got to make sure you hear from everyone. So yes, absolutely. And you know what? They, in the last year and a half for me, have been the ones that have allowed us to continue to deliver on our promise to our customers because they have come up with the creative ideas. What you really hope to gain from that is that the, the people that are sitting back saying no, they start to realize, you know what? It is better for the organization and maybe for me as an individual to really learn from that process. Outstanding. Thank you. And Gail, thank you so much you know, for joining me. If anyone wanted to follow up with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? So I'm on LinkedIn. You can always private message me. I've got a large network and I'm all for best practice sharing. So feel free to reach out. Specific to executive engagement, some of my key takeaways are number one, speak the language of the business executive. Don't talk about organizational entities, locations, applications. Talk about and even scope measure based on products and services. Consider using severe yet plausible scenarios as a way of testing overall business continuity or resilience capabilities. Executives think in terms of some of these bad events that they're oftentimes reading about in the headlines. Focus on people, specifically building their skills and experiences so that they're able to help prevent disruption, but also offer a real value-added response during the disruption. And then lastly, and something Gail really highlighted in our discussion, be a contributor to help reduce product complexity. Look for ways to be able to introduce more sustainable, efficient, resilient supply chain practices. Specific to this topic and these key takeaways, I'd invite you to look at and download two key resources. The first is called the Executive Support Amplifier, 
which helps build executive engagement in your program with a five-step framework that emphasizes something that we call the frame meeting. The second resource is called the business case template, which is there to be able to help you build justification for further investment in your business continuity or resilience program. You can find links to both of these resources in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Business Interrupted. I'm Brian Zawada for this scenario's episode. To get more insights and resources, head over to castellonbc.com and follow along wherever you get your audio.